Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we're on the phone with Donovan Wiley out of Jonesville, Louisiana, talking about his recent public land stud that he killed on Monday of last week, giving us a story on how he killed it, how he tracked it. It's a great story. I think everybody's going to love it. And we also get into a little bit of talk about equipment, about his time in the bowhunting world, 25 years experience, and still is just ate up with public land hunting. So he's definitely passionate about it. But before we get started, we need to give a big shout out to the two sponsors of the podcast, Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana, who's the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point at Ty's Taxidermy in Vider, Texas. So if you're headed eastbound on I-10 coming from Texas, you've got an easy way around the CWD regulations. Drop off your deer in Vider, pick up your deer a few months later from Steve German's. Couldn't be easier than that and also Cousin Smokehouse, home of the original pork jerky. They've got two flavors out right now, cane fire and traditional. Excellent mid-hunt snack. Definitely need to have that in your hunting bag this season. And also, Cousins is this year's title sponsor of the Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge happening on March 9th. We have six classes this year, two ranges, one for open, one for bowhunter, and a lot of money we're giving away, over $3,500 in cash prizes, plus the novelty shoots, $750 in first place for Bowhunter Elite and Open Elite. We've got women classes, we've got traditional classes, we've got everything you need to come out and have a great time for the weekend. So be looking for more information on that soon and mark that date down on your calendar. Now let's get on to this week's episode. Donovan, thank you for joining us on this week's episode. 
Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Well, so let's start off with uh, with with the easy stuff, man. So, where are you from, and uh, and how long have you been hunting? Uh, I live in Jonesville, Louisiana. Uh, I've basically been hunting all my life. I grew up in the woods, uh, following my older brother around uh, whenever he would let me go in, and he kind of taught me the ropes. And we've hunted public basically all my life. So we grew up hunting sign and learning to find their sign and how to read it. And it's just been a, a way and a style of hunting that I've always done. I enjoy it. To me, it's it's more more rewarding to go out in the woods and find sign and read it and try to figure the deer out versus, you know, the the typical box stands and corn feeders. I ain't, I ain't down anybody for doing that. It's just... I said that's just my style. That's why I enjoy doing. Absolutely, yeah, we we definitely agree there. Um, and uh, you know, with that being said, we've had we've had a lot of people that uh, you know I see it on the internet all the time. Everybody has something negative to say about somebody else's style of hunting, and um, you know, this has been a recurring theme throughout the podcast for us, which is you know we we are all hunting the way that we feel we get the most gratification from. That does not mean that it detracts from how much somebody else enjoys hunting a different way. You know what I mean? Oh, a- absolutely. I-, I agree with you because you know we're doing it. We're not doing this. Or I-, I don't do it for for anybody else's gratification. Mm-hmm. I-, I I do it because it's what it's what I enjoy doing. This this is what I live for. And this is what I look forward to every day of the year. Absolutely. So, how long have you been bow hunting? I've been bow hunting for this is uh 25 years. This year I've been bow hunting. Wow, that's awesome. And I I laid my gun down um in 1994 wow. and I picked up the bow and I haven't put it down since. Really? So so have you um so you you haven't been gun gun hunting since 94? Well, I mean let, let me let's put a little asterisk on that. I went on, <laughs> two, I, I went on two gun hunts in the last twenty five years, mm-hmm. but both of it was on some friends' property that we were strictly on doe patrol. You yeah, know, they was needing to thin some does, and, and they needed some. They needed extra tags, so I had extra tags. So I went. We filled some doe tags. That's all. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I've I've said a few times that I don't gun hunt on the podcast, but you know the reality is is. I do have a deer rifle. I've got a a Savage, um, I think it's a Savage Model 110, American Classic, stainless steel, woodstock, nice Leopold silver, 3 to 12 or 4 to 12 scope. It's a 270. And I sighted, I've never killed a deer with it, (laughs) ever. (laughs) I I got it, uh, I got it, man, I remember when we used to be able to buy and sell and flip guns on Facebook. You you get a gun, you shoot it a couple times, and you say, you know what, I want this for something else. I want to try to trade this for something else. And you you enjoy just seeing, hey, what else is out there? You know, I've got about a, you know, I've got about a $400 value in this. I wonder what else I can get for the same range. And it wasn't, it was never about like making money or anything. It was just, hey, it's fun owning a bunch of guns, even if I don't plan on keeping them long term. And this is one that I ended up keeping and I keep it for the same reason you just said, if I ever get invited to somebody's property and you know, they want to put me on a, you know, a doe patrol stand or a box stand or whatever, 
I don't want to be rude and say, no, I only bow hunt. I'm not going to go hunting with you. You know what I mean? I, I understand exactly what you mean. I keep it for that off, off chance invitation that somebody I respect invites me on a deer hunt. Even if it isn't the way that, that I, like I said, like to hunt, that doesn't mean I won't enjoy it with them. But yeah, so I've, I've got a deer rifle. I think it's awesome that you, uh, you, you kind of have almost a similar path as Glenn Peterson. He's, he's kind of the same 25, 30 year old realm of kind of putting down the gun and sticking with the bow. So 25 years, 1994, you put it down. And then, uh, so what, what was the first, if you remember, what was the first bow that you started hunting with back then? The first bow I hunted with, I had a XI Legend Magnum. I was shooting, uh, the 2213 game, Eastern Game Getters, and I had a 125 grain Thunderhead on it. And the first deer I killed was a doe. And I was so nervous <laughs> trying to get drawn back on her that the arrow actually fell. I think, if I remember correctly, it was an old TM Hunter rest that I had. And it's, uh, the, the, the arrow fell off the rest three times before I ever got to full draw. <laughs> and it, it all turned out good, but it was, it was shaping up to be a disaster. So that's a long time ago. Now that's a whole lot longer than I've been bow hunting. Do you still get just completely consumed by, uh, you know, excitement when an animal comes out like that now? Two weeks ago I was hunting and I had a, Late one evening, I had a doe and a fawn come in there on me. had no intentions of shooting. I took the shakes so hard, really? I couldn't have shot her if I wanted to. Oh, now, wow. I'll say the day it quits doing me th- that way is the day I quit bow hunting. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, well, so that's that's really interesting because that was a topic that I posted um, on social media of, you know, how do you overcome buck fever or deer fever and gain your composure in the heat of the moment you know some people had some great answers some people had some very <clears throat> stoic i do this and it works and that's it and it's it's interesting because everybody's affected by deer differently some people get shaken up out of control by a doe some people it's only when they see antlers right and i also think we kind of go through stages of you know, where, where, you know, certain animals or maybe certain size animals won't shake us up as much as other ones. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people listening right now that, that will be happy to know that they can be 25 years down the road and they still are consumed by it that heavily because that's like the adrenaline rush, right? That's the, the emotion. That's that, why we do it. It's, it is why we that's do why it. That's why you yep. do it. Absolutely. For me personally, your average doe doesn't do much for me. It did at the very beginning when I started bow hunting. I mean, I mean, almost, a squirrel would almost have me shaken out of a tree. You know, um, mm-hmm. you get a couple dozen deer under your belt, and and, a, and it's not so much the deer; it's more the hunting situations. It's more of the self consciousness, the self awareness in the stand, and the confidence level that you have in you and your ability to kill an animal and not get busted. And there's a lot of factors, but it used to be a doe would have me shaken up. Now I go into this um, almost like hyper focus. Uh, I don't. I don't get like buck fever. I don't get like this debilitating. I'm out of control takeover anymore. I kind of get super focused, almost like the way 
a lab gets when there's 50 ducks about to land in the decoys. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like this is the moment. It's here. Everything comes down to this second, and then you and then you execute. Um, so I don't. I'm I'm not going to tell you I have it under control. That that would be a lie. But I do have it to a point where I recognize when the animal has control and I don't. Um, and that's what I have to to talk myself down from which is I squeeze my shoulder blades together and I, I pin my, my shoulders back and I tighten up my thigh muscles and, and kind of clench my arms. And it's almost like I'm trying to be as, as rock still as possible. Um, and, I, and I have to say, okay, stop, settle down, calm down. And, and for me, the longer I see an animal, the more... I can regain my composure. Sometimes it's when it's like when they come up on you real fast and catch you by surprise. That's when it's kind of hard to overcome. But I have to physically say to myself, calm down. You've got this, you know, bend at the waist, make a good shot, come to full draw, set your anchor. And I'll start, I'll start saying to myself the, um, the, uh, movements or whatever I need the inputs to myself of what I need to do to Uh make this work. And then, and then it works well. Um, what, what works for you? What do you do? I guess what works best for me is, you know, cause I'm going to get, I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to get excited on any animal that comes within bow range of me. I I always do. I mean, I, and I'd be lying if I say I didn't get nervous. Um, But I guess I, and I don't mean to put it in like a crude way, but I'm just going to say it like this: You got to kind of go into kill mode. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're fixing, we're, we're fixing to make this shot. Now I'm fixing to commit to shoot this animal, but and I've got to put the best shot on this animal that I possibly can. Once I go through that process of okay, I'm looking for a shot. I'm not. I'm watching behavior. What, you know, what are they doing? Their head up, their head down. What's their body language? As soon as they give me the opportunity, uh, and a lot of times when I get a little, I'm starting to get a little shaky, as soon as I start the draw process and anchor, all that just goes away, I guess, mm-hmm. because you, you, know, you don't put tension in your muscles and in your, in your back, and all that stops. And once the pin settles and the shot's gone, and and you know you've seen our hit, you know it's a good hit. A lot of times I have got to sit down so I don't fall out of the tree. Yeah, it ain't no use to pull out a phone out and try to text somebody right then because <laughs> my hands are shaking so bad you can't do it. Yeah, uh, it's just it's I guess it's that rush and that release of adrenaline. Yeah, it just overwhelms you. And it's just I'm telling you, it's nobody's ever done it. You, you, you can't explain it's it. It's unexplainable. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, what you just said, it, it reminded me of two things. Number one, um, uh, around the time in my bow hunting career that I became really comfortable being around deer that were with within bow range, it started around the time I had a couple of kills under my belt. I don't know, maybe I killed six or eight deer by this point in time. And I was at the point now where I was starting to be a little more selective. Okay. Maybe I wanted to kill larger does or maybe I wanted to Mm -hmm. kill, you know, um, 
I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and convince anybody that I was only trying to kill mature bucks, you know, my first or second or third year bow hunting, but maybe I didn't want to shoot spikes or maybe I didn't want to shoot a small four point or something like that. Um, but regardless of how big the animal was, for whatever reason, I had said to myself, um, I'm going to let that deer pass. Well, when you make a conscious decision to let a deer pass, that doesn't mean that they necessarily leave right away. You know, a lot of times they stick around you for 20, 30, 45 minutes, an hour. Maybe they bed down next to you for two hours and you're pinned in your tree because you've got uh, a spike buck looking at you at 40 yards but doesn't know you're in the tree. And so once you, once you realize that a deer can bed down to, next to you, because he he doesn't know you're there, number one, which is probably one of the greatest confidence builders that's ever happened to me is is watching an animal bed down within range because that just confirms like, hey, uh, I'm not screwing anything up. And then the other thing is um, having them be very close to your tree or within 20, 30 yards and knowing that when you're 20 to 18 feet up in the air – you're out of his vision field of view, if you will. You can move and turn around in your deer stand and grab something out of your bag, move your bow, hang your bow back up, whatever you want to do. You can get away with these movements within a certain distance of a deer from, from you, and they won't pick you off unless you make a noise or something like that. Um, and so I started realizing after a couple of encounters like this, like, Hey, I'm not, I don't have to be so rigid and, um, you know, locked in and, you know, act like the tree, be like the tree, uh, tensed up. So those two things made me feel a lot more comfortable around deer, but also it really helped me out when a deer I wanted to kill walked out because like you said, you've made that decision to shoot that deer, right? That's been your, you know, when you say, hey, it's kill time, mm-hmm. you've dedicated yourself. You, you're locked on, and, and all you got to do is go through the motions and put the arrow where it needs to go. But when you have a deer next to you and you're not initiating kill time, it helps you cope better the next time you have deer that you want to shoot come within a ra- within range. You know, you have control of the situation more. And I ain't never and won't never claim to know any, all there is to know or know any kind of expert up- when it comes to bow hunting, I, I go to church with some boys that, you know, they gun hunt. They primarily gun hunt. And I told them, I said, you know, I said, bow hunting deer has taught me a lot about deer behavior that I would not have learned if I, had I been gun hunting. Because as soon as I would have seen that deer 70, 80 yards out, well, I would have been looking for the first open to put the crosshairs on it, pull the trigger, bang, the hunt's over with. Mm-hmm. So by me bow hunting, just like what you just said, you know, letting that deer come in close and just let them do what they naturally do. They want to bed down. Yeah, I've had bucks bed down next to me and just watch their behavior. So you ain't got to kill every deer you see. We're not trying to exterminate them. We're just hunting them. So by watching their behavior, the ones you decide, I'm going to let this deer pass. I'm not going to take a shot. You watch it. You learn you take mental notes of their behavior. Okay, so when the next deer comes in, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to take this deer here. Well, he's acting similar to this other one, 
And so you don't have to be in such a rush. So if you're not in such a rush to shoot, a lot of times you can keep yourself calmer to make the shot because you're not, I, I got to hurry up and shoot it before it gets away. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Now, now let's just take our time. The deer's going to do what it's going to do. And when it gets, when that deer gets right, it ain't in no hurry. It's just milling around. It's feeding or whatever it's doing. And whenever it's, when it gets right, we're going to take the shot. Yeah. That's, I, I like that. I like that perspective a lot because, um, you know, there, sometimes we do feel as if, um, we have to rush it. And I think that's maybe what happens, um, when, when we put a bad shot on a deer or, or we even miss, you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. and, and, you know, every deer is different. Every circumstance is different. Every shot angle is different. And, um, you know, hunting with a bow to me is about as difficult as it gets. And it's unreasonable to think that you can be, you know, perfect dead ringer on every single shot you make on every animal. And, but, but you're right. As you become more comfortable and you are, uh, cognizant of the uh, behavior of deer and what they do and how it means something like, for example, if I know if you see a deer flick its tail like just one or two hard flicks and then go calm again, that usually means they're at ease, right? They 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 are totally relaxed. Totally relaxed. I mean, a deer's tail is their number one indicator of what they're thinking, and if it's up, um, and their ears are pinned back and they're looking straight ahead, you know, with their uh, you know trying to find out where that noise came from or what that lump in the tree is, you're in mm-hmm. trouble. But if they got their head down. Or if they're slowly walking and grazing, and they've got their tail, and it flickers that that one time, man, you're 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 good as gold. You know, um, the tail is probably the biggest the biggest tell of uh, you know how a deer is is feeling or acting in the moment. Um, and you know, I, I I killed a nice buck a couple of weeks back. I think it was a couple of days after Christmas, and I'd shot him at it was it was not far, maybe five or six yards from the base of my tree, and he was coming at me. He was coming from uh, straight ahead, and he was going to kind of come from. Um, I wasn't going to give a, get a good shot at him until he, until he, technically, until he passed me. And uh, because when you're shooting kind of at a hard angle down like that, and a deer's walking at you, you don't have a, a very forgiving shot. He's it's quartering two. You're not going to have a good exit. The exit's going to be in the guts, pretty much, versus in the vitals, um, in the front of the chest area. It's going to be like the the middle half back of the uh the body cavity Mm -hmm. and so i was like well if i really if i really have a good chance of shooting this deer and killing him quickly i need to he needs to walk about another 10 yards and so at that point in time i was only i was almost shooting behind my deer stand shooting behind my tree and um that was a that was a long standoff between he and i he had no idea anything was wrong just the fact that he was so close and he, of course he was a large deer. So I was shooken up just because of that alone. But we almost like, we almost give bigger deer more credit at their ability to pick us off or bust us than smaller deer, if you will. Um, and, uh, it was hard for me to say, Hey, you need to, you need to let him get to that point. I had a spot on the ground where I knew if he walked there and kept going the direction he was going to, that was going to be, be the place I was going to kill him. And, um, and I remember whispering to myself, trying to like 
remote control the deer? If that, have you ever talked to a deer to go the way that you want? Like, like, no, I beg, I've done more begging than I have. Begging? <laughs> like, like, come on, just just a couple more steps. Need you to keep coming this way, right? And, um, uh, you know, like like you're a deer that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Like I'm sure you're trying to be like, come out behind that palmetto, right? One more step, one more step. One more, and one it, more. Come and on, they get more. to that yeah. point and you put the arrow where it needs to go. And you know, it's almost, you, it's almost like you black out. It's all one smooth motion. It's all one, one process where, you know, pick up your bow, draw, put the pin on there, release, not even a thought process. It's like every muscle memory you could possibly ever have goes on in that moment and you execute, you know? Um, so, uh, so that's, it's interesting to hear how, you know, you cope with deer being near you, how I cope with deer. Everybody's different and everybody has something that works for them, you know? Um, but the, I guess the one thing that, you know, if I could get this to stick in people's heads is, you know, try not to make a shot when you don't have control, right? When the animal has control of the situation, that could lead to, lead to, you know, some negative things. If you're in control of yourself and you're in control of the shot process and you feel confident making a shot, things are going to go really well for you, you know? Uh, I, I, learned, I learned that lesson real hard years ago, and I called it forcing the shot. Yeah. If you have to, if I if I have to force it, I generally don't even take it. It ain't worth it. You know, to start with, a wounded animal, unrecovered, is about as bad as it gets. You know. Yeah. I, I, a clean miss is way better, way younger, better than than a wound. So if you don't have, if you don't have that that perfect, that ideal, okay, we we this can happen. You know. Well, let's let our worst thing you can do is, well, let's just see if we can make this happen. I hope it works out. It ain't nothing but a deer. You know, it's, it's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, 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 that's a, to me, that's a bad attitude as a hunter, as a sportsman to have. I agree. I agree with you. You know, I've, I've made some questionable shots over the year. I've tried to force some shots and, um, you know, it, it, uh, sometimes it goes, Great. Sometimes you can get that arrow in there before they, before that deer can react and everything goes like you want. Um, and I, and I think a lot of that goes as you know the longer we hunt, and as we mature, you yeah. know, as, as hunters, <clears throat> as we mature, you know, we learn from past mistakes, we learn from past experiences, and we just take that and we grow grow it to the next experience and, and try not to make the same mistake twice. You know. absolutely yeah absolutely just trying to keep that forward momentum going mm-hmm. um well hey let's let's start talking about your deer this week incredible buck you know before we started recording i told you i said we're not going to talk about where this was killed uh in fact i mean i haven't even asked you where it was killed yet i have an idea but i don't care i don't care where you killed it because you know, like I said, I'm not going to go hunt its ghost. Nobody, you know, there might be some people really interested in hunting that deer's ghost. Um, but you know, good luck. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, extremely impressive deer. Can you? What can you tell us about? You know, the physical properties of it. How big was it? If you've if you've measured it, how many points was it? Things like that. Uh, the deer, the deer wasn't that big of a body of a deer. He didn't weigh but 204 pounds. That was live weight. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he scored out at 144 and 5 eighths. Um, he was 18 and a half inches wide. So he's a good, good, solid 10 point for public land. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it was killed in Area 1. I told you that was the most information we're going to put out about it. But is this uh, was this a deer that you had known about? Were you hunting him, or did he show up? No. I, actually, I had no idea a deer like that was even in the area. But I, I, I don't think the deer was – I don't think that was his home range. I really don't. I think he'd come in from another area, had to have, because uh, the, the buck sign that we had been seeing in there did not indicate um, a deer that big. You know, we, mm-hmm. we've seen some pretty decent hooks, and the scrapes were, were real active uh, back in the middle of December, but they only stayed active for maybe four or five days, and then everything just kind of leaved over. And they hadn't they really hadn't been in scraping activity since maybe a week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So as far as just you know showing up big buck activity, now nah, we hadn't seen anything. And now we've seen some decent bucks, you know, pushing those around. But as far as as far as saying, hey, look, I got a hundred forty-five inch deer in the woods, <laughs> and I'm a hundred forty-five now, and it wasn't nothing like that. Gotcha. So, so tell us, kind of give us a story on the whole, the whole day, you know, when did you get out there? Were you in a spot you had hunted, uh, um, previously? How were you set yeah. up? All that stuff. I, I, I was in a, I was in a, in a, in an area that I had hunted previously and had seen a smaller buck bumping a door around. And I told my buddy that's hunting with me when we, um, Left out that morning, so I told him so where I was going to go. I said, I'm, I seen one there. Who knows? Who knows what might come through there? You know, it's it's January. You know, the rut is pretty active in Area 1 in January. I said, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back in there and climb a tree and hang on and see what happens. So it's kind of cloudy there Monday morning, so it's kind of late breaking light. And more, even after it gets daylight, still ain't real bright in the woods. And... There ain't nothing active. I think I seen one squirrel that morning, um, and I hear palmetto naturally behind me. And I turn and look, and here comes a nice-sized doe, just not busting palmetto, but just moving pretty, pretty fast through. She turns. She gets there 20 yards from me, and she turns, and she walks under my tree, literally five feet from my tree. And I'm videoing her with my phone, and she goes on out, crosses the ridge, gets in a flat, and heads on up. And I'm thinking, all right, now I know how the deer are coming through here, so I might, maybe need to move my setup just a little bit. Yeah. Know? So uh, about the time she gets out of hearing, where I don't hear her rustling palmetto, I hear palmetto behind me again, and I thought, "Hey, I could be a buck, you know, <laughs> you know, following her, following her up, you know." So I turn around and look, and by the time I turn around and look behind my tree, well, he sticks his head up over the palmetto, and I was like, "Oh my God, look at that! That is a good, that's a good buck." <laughs> so I said, "Hey, look, it's fixing to happen right here underneath me." Man, I stand up, turn around, and get ready. Well, he 
for whatever reason, he lost her trail, and he's walking back and forth, and he finally catches her trail again and comes up. Well, by the time he gets about 30 yards from me, he loses her again. Well, he starts veering away from me. Well, it's like a little opening over there. So, and I had done, by the time it got good daylight, I done took my rangefinder and got me some waypoints mm-hmm. out that way. Mm-hmm. And he turned, and I said, well, he's going to walk behind that little two-pound metal there. And so I pushed my side up to 35, and when he stepped behind him, he stopped. And I come to full draw on him. And when I, set, when I settled the pin on him, I was like, well, I'm looking right through that palmetto. I said, I can't shoot through that palmetto because it's going to, it may turn my arrow. And uh, so instead, and I took my focus off of the deer and was focused on, put my focus on that palmetto. I just pulled the pin right to the edge of the palmetto and didn't refocus on the deer to really see where the pin was sitting on the deer because by this time, I was I was pretty torqued up, okay? Mm-hmm. And so when I shoot the deer, I see the arrow hitting, and it don't get any penetration. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have done. Shot that dude right in the shoulder. And when he wheeled to run, I could see arrow just sticking out. Mm. So I watched him. He run back down the, the way that I came, the exact trail that I walked in on. And about 80 yards, he went out of sight, and I heard him stop running, and then I didn't hear anything else. I said, well, I know he ain't crashed, because if he were, you know, crashed, you would hurt him in that power minute. I said, he just slipped off. So that was at about 7.20 when I shot him. And I texted a couple of my buddies and told them what I'd done, what had happened. And uh, the guy I was hunting with, he said, well, just, just sit tight, and I'll be able over that way, we're going to give him a little while. I said, definitely, we're going to give him a little while before we get started on the track. So he come about 9.30, we get together and get started on the track. Well, about 80 yards down from just past where I seen him stop, uh, we found a little blood on some palmetto. And a little ways further, he stopped again, and it was – Another pile of blood, probably about the size of a uh, paper plate, you know. I, well, you know, at least he's bleeding, you know. I don't know. I, I, I'm still thinking I got him in the shoulder, you know. Yeah. I showed up, well, well, maybe I got a little bit of bubbles in the blood. So, well, maybe maybe I got deep enough I got part of that lung. So we start to track. He's bleeding. I don't Hey, you, you're obligated then. At this point in time, how long it had, been, had it been since you shot him? At that point, it had been just a little over two hours since I'd shot. Okay. And uh, so the blood piles you're finding, did it look like a blood pile from the wound or maybe from uh, from him breathing, like his nose? Both. Okay. Yeah. Both. Because we had found blood there and found some real, it was just like you made bubbles, like foam, mm-hmm. red foamy blood. So we knew, we knew it was blood coming out of his nose or his mouth, you know, at that point. Yeah. So we said, well, we just take it slow and just long, and just see what the sign tells us. So he goes down, and I don't know, probably a quarter, not quite a half a mile. He makes a hard right, goes, 
goes across the ridge into another flat and beds down. We find this bed. Well, when we find this bed, we can't find where he left anywhere after that. So we, we, we start making little half circles around past the bed. Can't find anything, so we come back to the bed. And we, we're talking, you know, well, you reckon he got, when he got up, he doubled back on himself. Well, I don't know. Let's check it out, you know. So we started following back, and we go just a little ways backtracking, and there's blood on both sides of the trail. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask so you if you had shot, it. In, yeah. He shot on the left side. I know it didn't get a pass through. So that tells me that he's done turned around and he's backtracking himself. Yeah, absolutely. So so real carefully, we follow him back and find where he veers off. About 50 yards, he backtracked himself. And he he veered off of this trail, got back in the main in the main little trail that he was in originally, headed back south. Now, the wind's out of the north. He's headed south, due south the whole time. So he's got the wind behind his head. Mm-hmm. And he goes probably another three or four hundred yards, backtracks himself again. At this point, I done basically I had done give up on even finding the deer because of he done backtracked himself twice. He's, I'm thinking he's got enough wits about himself. He's trying to throw throw somebody off of his trail, you know. But he's still bleeding. So I'm still going to track. As long as I can find a drop of blood, I'm going to track. And from that point, we're going maybe, maybe 100 yards, maybe not that much. We walk to within 20 yards of this deer. He's downwind of us. So we walk within 20 yards of him. He's in a big briar patch, a real thick vine patch, and he blows out of there. And whenever he come out of there, he come out real strong, but then after he went about 15, 20 yards through all in vines, you could tell instead of going over the top of it, he just started kind of going through it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see a whole lot ahead of me. My my partner was all kind of off to the side, and all of a sudden everything stopped. And he looked at me and he said, DR, he said, that deer just went down. I said, you think? He said, I know he did. He said, everything stopped right there. He said, that vine right there that you see swinging, he went down right there. Oh, well, let's go get him if you think he went down. So we tear our way through that thicket and get over there. Well, <clears throat> to our surprise, he didn't go down. He had another little opening. Mm. But from the time that we jumped him, to the time we got there, he had done bedded down again. Well, when we seen that bed, I mean, this is, when we jumped him, it was 11 o'clock when we jumped him. So we done tracked him from uh, 9.30 to 11 to that point. And so he goes through that vine patch, hits that little opening, beds down again, it's some, Though it's an old deep slough there, it's got water in it. We knew he didn't go across the water because we could have heard heard him splashing. Yeah. So we, we're standing at the edge. Well, which way did he go? He bedded down right here, and he done got up. So we bust a bumped him again when we come through that vine patch. And I had turned my back to my partner, 
and made a few steps away, and we're talking, but we're not talking loud, you know. So we, I'm thinking, and he is too. He that deer done got up and went on down, and he's plumb out of earshot, you know. If we would have been paying attention, the Joker is laying 15 steps from us. Wow. Because whenever I turned away from him and took a few steps away from the deer, the deer got up and went across the water. Well, then we got a good look at him because it's kind of open. He crossed the water, got on the other side, and we could tell that left shoulder was all busted. He couldn't stay up. He was stumbling and falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up. So we got to got to see the deer and see how he was acting. We knew he done got really weak. And we watched him where he, he walked down the bank, down the edge of that old slew a little ways, and it kind of disappeared up in the edge of the palmetto. We marked it by a big stripe of oak. Okay, well, we're just going to give him an hour. So we went back, got a little bite to eat, got something to drink, kind of rested up, and kind of collected our thoughts and kind of got a game plan together, what we was going to do. And uh, so I, we come back. To, uh, to where we jumped him at last time. I crossed the, the slough mm-hmm. and just started slipping down the edge of the water till I got down toward the last place we seen him. So then I start scanning. I'm thinking he's up in the edge of the palmetto. You know, he ain't gone far because I'm looking for the edge, up in the edge of the palmetto for hair, ear, horn, anything I can see. And out of the corner of my eye, in front of me, something that just catches my attention, and probably six or eight feet out in the water, it's a log laying parallel with the bank. Water's probably six, maybe eight inches deep, and behind the log is a set of horns. There you go. And I'm I'm thinking, there he is. My first thought was, he's laying in the water to try to stop the bleeding, you know, so I said, well, I'm this close to him. We done jumped him twice. He ain't getting away without me getting another arrow in him somewhere or another. Mm-hmm. So I knocked me another arrow, come back to full draw, and just kind of sidestep myself until I can see the point of that shoulder. And as soon as I see the point of that shoulder, well, I put another arrow in him, but he don't flinch. <laughs> yeah. So I step up where I can really see him, and he was laying there in the water stone cold dead wow that's awesome that's a great story man and he was way bigger than i thought he was there was no ground shrinkage to him yeah that's uh that's an exciting story yeah you tell it really well and i'm sitting here and i feel like i was on that track with you i can i can picture the ridge i can picture you know the slough and the palmetto and where he was sitting when you were you know, talking to 15 steps from him and, and, you know, I'm, I just think that's a great story. I'm excited for you, you know? Uh, thank you. That, that hunt to me is one of the most probably, and it will be. And I told my, my, the guy I was hunting with, um, his dad was in the hospital, not doing well, really just for the lack of a better term, laying there, not even knowing he was even in the world. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, one of these days, you know, if if, I told him, I I may wind up just like your dad. I said, if I do, 
and I don't know anybody. I hope God lets me come back to a day like this <laughs> and relive this day, you know, when I don't know anything else. Yeah. That, you know, that that's that's all you can hope for. Yeah, that's powerful. That's I think that's great. Um, I I know what you mean. You're in. Uh, it's like this moment of Zen. Um, it's a. There's not a whole lot of times in your life where you intentionally catalog something, an event or a day, where you know you'll never forget it. It's it's kind of like. Uh, you know, where were you on 9-11? Or where were you watching the Saints game when they won the Super Bowl? You know what I mean? It's it's almost at like that level of you remember what you were wearing. You remember what you had for lunch. You remember, you know, what time you woke up that morning. You remember every every inch of that day. And um, when you can do it and, and pull something like that off, you know, on public land, it's great. And we all want. We all want that double long shot, run forty yards, and pile it dead. That's that's easy. But it's hunts like that one unfolded. They're really just every time you see, you know, once I get him back from taxidermist, you know, thirty years from now, if I live that long, I see that deer hanging. I will I will remember that yeah. that morning. You know, going from the high of seeing him, getting a shot on him. And then the the low and the disappointment and the, you know like oh my I've done messed up you know <laughs> the kind of the lowest of lows and then four hours later you back on top of the world again yeah yeah I um I won't, I won't tell the whole story but I'll, I'll kind of tell it about you know a similar experience for me when um it was it wasn't so much this uh, this journey of finding the deer because I had made a great shot on the deer. I knew he was dead. It was more about, um, the whole process of getting to this point. Uh, and it was, I had set up, I'd seen deer. I moved, I set up, I saw deer, I moved. This is four or five hunts in a row. It's public land, saw deer, mm-hmm. got a little closer to where they're coming from. Next day, get busted by them, move again, get a little closer to where they're coming from. And and on the last day, I'm not kidding you, it was a la- the, on that particular year, um, bow season ended on a Tuesday. January 31st was a Tuesday. This is Sunday evening. I had to work mm-hmm. Monday and Tuesday, so this was my last hunt. And it was my fourth or fifth attempt of, of killing a nice deer on public land. And... um right at uh right at dusk i had a deer that came out very quickly biggest deer i've ever seen in person long story short i was able to get a good shot at him but it was so many deliberate moves and strategy strategy changes and uh, different approaches to get that to happen that once i killed him and i confirmed he was dead I was waiting on a friend of mine to come help me drag him out. He was about a mile away in the woods. And um, it is my friend Garrett Ramsey. Anybody listening that's been hearing me give Garrett Ramsey a hard time, we, have, uh, we haven't been hunting together that long, but we've got a lot of good hunting stories together. Things always get interesting when he and I go in the woods. And um, he was coming to help me drag this deer out. And while I was waiting on him, it took him about an hour to get to where I was, I remember being over um looking across the water i had a had an area where i had a big body of water in between me and another piece of land and i remember seeing four-wheeler lights on the other side 
and they were and and I'm sitting there sitting against the base of my tree eating I don't know Vienna sausages or whatever my snack was and I remember seeing those headlights and um the only season that was open right now was bow season so I knew it was I knew it was bow hunters I knew they were way over there and I remember thinking to myself I wonder how they did tonight and I hope that they did as well as I did you know I remember I don't know those people they 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 mean nothing to me more than headlights going through the woods a quarter mile away mm-hmm. but I remember thinking to myself like man I I hope they had as good of a hunt this evening that I did and like I said I I cataloged that moment in my life at that point in time. It was the only time where I've had time after killing a deer to just sit and appreciate, you know what I mean? Um, and, and say, you know, this is ex- this is exactly what it's all about right here. It's kind of cool that we're talking about this at the end of the season, because there's going to be a lot of people that are in the season right now and they didn't have great seasons. And there's going to be a lot of people that end the season this week or in a couple of weeks and it's the best season they've ever had. And it it changes year to year. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail, you know. Exactly. And on your hunt, you were the hammer. And on my hunt I just talked about, I was the hammer. But my god, how many times have we been the freaking nail? You know. Oh, more times than what I want to talk about. But being the nail that often makes being the hammer that much sweeter you know absolutely absolutely well so you know i'm really interested in um you know you said you stood up in your deer stand they were walking under your tree stand and um and you had to turn around and shoot and things like that what what are you hunting are you hunting a climber you hunting a lock on i hunt i hunt climbers uh hunting public land i uh, the way we hunt the style that we hunt uh the climbers is just a little bit more versatile than what uh sticks in them Lock on would be yeah. Um, uh, it it's it's more mobile. Uh, it's it's. I guess if you fool with one long enough, you could get it quiet. But you know, it. I don't like to be real intrusive when I'm going into an area. I like to just to be as as less intrusive as I can. Mm-hmm. So the less the, the less noise I can make, the less sign I can leave, uh that I that I have been in there, the the greater success that I have had through the years, you know, of coming back to that area and then the deer really not picking up on, hey, he's in here deer hunting, you know, he's in here trying to kill me, you know. Yeah. So uh it's just it's it's a it's a lot easier first to use climbers where we at than what it is the the sticks and the lock on. Now, what kind of climber do you have? I use a summit. Gotcha. Which which one? A viper. The viper, yes, the summit viper. Gotcha. Now, um, now, what kind of bow and, and arrows and broadheads are shoot, you shooting these days? I'm shooting the Elite Ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, shooting Gold Tip three forties, and I'm shooting the Exodus, uh, the QAD Exodus hundred grain head. Nice, nice. Elite's uh, bow line has gotten better and better every year. So, the, I, if I'm not mistaken, the ritual is a split limb, right? The ritual is a split limb, and the bows with this LTR is a lot easier to tune than what the old uh, energies mm-hmm. were. Um, so it's a it's easier to get your arrow flying like you needed to fly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love the bow. I love the bows. So you're in Jonesville. Where? What's your main archery shop that you use up there? 
The main archer shop that I use is uh actually it's not it's not real close to me. It's Man Cave out in uh in Bentley. Bi- yeah, in Bentley, Spanky. Yeah, absolutely. Spanky. Oh yeah. yeah, Spanky. Spanky's a good friend of mine. He's he's helping me out a lot this year with the uh, with the archery tournament we have in March, the 3D Challenge, uh, Louisiana Bowman yeah. 3D Challenge. See, I didn't get I didn't get to make that one last year. I don't know what came up that I couldn't make that 3D Challenge that you had out there last year, but I got it on the calendar to make it this year for sure. For everybody listening, it's March 9th. It's in Pollock, Louisiana, um, and uh, Lock Wheeler and I are working on. Uh, making the flyers and a lot of the ads and uh, putting all the information together for people so we can start pushing it. And, you know, I get asked about it every day. When is it? Where is it? How do I get there? You know, things like that. Um, And if if you don't mind, I'll do a little plug real quick on what it's about and and what we do it for. So it's a a 3D archery tournament um, where we're trying to get people – into the the sport of shooting tournaments and getting involved in your local club and wanting to stay uh, wanting to stay tuned up out of the season where you're shooting your bow year round essentially and um, so we have two ranges this year last year we had one range and um, we had 150 shooters last year which is a great turnout for our first year but this year we're expecting it to be over double that. And so we have two ranges. We have a bow hunter range and we have an open range. And um, it's all on the same property. It's just going to be, you know, bow hunters go left, open shooters go right. You know, Spanky's helping with the open side of things. We're going to be using his targets. They're all McKenzie targets that we're going to be using for the open side and the bow hunter side. And then it's at, since it's being held at Sinla Bowbenders Archery Club range, um, we're using their targets for the bow hunter side. Their piece of property is really unique. Um, the western side of it uh, is kind of um, open pine thicket, pine woods, flat ground type, and that's where the open range is going to be. And then they have kind of the southeast part of it is going to be um, in kind of a hardwoods bottom with a creek running through. And so we're able to manipulate uh, kind of like faux elevation, if you will, where I can hang a tree stand one foot off the ground for safety reasons, and then you're shooting down a hillside and down a creek bank, and we're getting simulated elevation, if that makes sense, where safety's in mind, where you know we would obviously never have anybody climb a tree to make a shot, but you're also getting some pretty realistic shot angles on you know, bedded doe or another cool thing is we, we shoot out of ground blind or um, we got a lot that are shooting uphill, you know. Um, so it's a really unique piece of property. Uh, have a lot of vendors coming. Um, so far, we got Cousins Jerky will be there. Um, we'll have uh, Acadian Woods. We'll have Craig Archery uh, with their traditional bows. We'll have Man Cave will be there. Um, Hog Boss Gates will be there. I mean, we've got Probably close to a dozen vendors that'll be there, plus a lot of novelty shoots. It's just a fun, a fun event. One of the things that I'm looking forward to the most, other than you know planning it and having this shoot, is I get to meet a lot of the people that I've been talking to on the podcast that I've never <laughs> met in person. You know, so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a really fun thing for me because I mean, I've had some very in depth conversations with people that I've never met them before. You know, and uh, I'm looking forward to that a lot. So. Um, like I said, March 9th, it is 
the second Saturday in March, and there's not a lot of other conflicts with it. The Simmons Sporting Goods uh, Big Buck Contest is the weekend before. There's not many other archery tournaments that weekend, um, and we've given a lot of money away in the past, and we're doubling it this year. We've got more classes. We've got more prizes, more money we're giving away. I mean, it's, it's going to be a fun event. So I'm looking forward to meeting you there. Yeah, I, I, you will. You, unless something other really bad happens, you will meet me there. <laughs> I will be there. Good. Year. I'm looking forward to it. You know, Donovan, I, I really appreciate you you taking the time to do this with me and telling us the story of, of your deer and the track and, you know, your lifetime of hunting. It's hard to explain how valuable conversations like this can be for our listeners because everybody's at a different stage in the process. You know, there's some people that just started bow hunting this year and Mm -hmm. it's got to be, it it has got to be refreshing or encouraging to know, Hey, this guy has been hunting possibly longer than I've been alive. And he still gets shaken up when a spike walks out. You know what I mean? It's fun to hear other people's stories and perspectives and experiences. And so, you know, thank you for being on the show today, man. Thank thank you for the invite. No problem. Well, do you have anything else that you want to add before we kind of wrap it up? Uh, for someone that's beginning to bow hunt, um, if I had one bit of advice that I could give to them, be real conscious of the wind direction. Always, always hunt the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, Scent control, there's a place for scent control and all the little products that they push and sell. But the only way, the only real way to beat a deer's nose is to keep him upwind of you. Absolutely, yeah. That has that has a lot to do with what tree selection and what area you're going to hunt and all of that, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and go into, whenever you go into a hunt or you, you're planning a hunt in Go into it with a with a plan, and stick with the plan. Uh, stick with it to the end, because uh, don't 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 get halfway through the hunt and decide you need to be somewhere else and get down and and leave out. You mm-hmm. Just stay stay with it, stay the course. Absolutely, that's, that's some great advice. I appreciate that. Well, um, well, look, hey, thanks again for being on Donovan, and I look forward to meeting you in March. Yes, sir. I look forward to it. All right. You have a good night. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout-out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.